0: Well, good morning, Golden Corner Church. I want to say thank you for being in church this morning. This is just one of those mornings that when the clock goes off and you hear the rain on the roof, it's just so easy to cut the clock off and pull the sheets up over your head and go, God, I know you'll understand if I sleep in. But I appreciate the fact that you are here. This morning I want to begin a new sermon series entitled, The Mystery of Suffering. And over the next five Sundays, I want to do my best to answer an age-old question. And the question is, why would a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? Before we get to that, I think there's another question I've got to answer. Would a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? Logic would tell us, no, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. If he's good, and if he's God, he wouldn't. Cultural thinking would tell us, no, no way. I I, I watched a YouTube clip of a guy named Bill Maher. Y'all familiar with Bill Maher? I mean, he's a God hater. I mean, he's a religion hater. And his whole, his whole uh, his belief system is built upon this. Because bad things happen in this world, there can't be a God. So cultural thinking is, no, if there's a God up there and he's good, he would never allow bad things to happen, period, let alone to good people. And then, of course, you could turn on your television and listen to any number of televangelists. And they'll assure you there's no way ever would a good God allow a bad thing to happen to a good person. This is kind of the the theology of our society. And that is, God sends good things to good people exclusively. And he sends bad things to bad people exclusively. Uh, You know... Can we trust logic? Can we trust cultural thinking? And can we trust the average televangelist? Well, i tell you what I do trust. I trust the Word of God. I trust the Bible. And so to find the answer to the question, would a good God ever allow bad things to happen to a good person, I want us to go to the Bible. And in particular, I want us to go to the Old Testament book of Ruth. And we're going to be here for five weeks. And this morning, we're going to take a look at chapter number one. And remember the question, would a good God allow something bad to happen to a good person? In just a minute, we're going to read a few verses together. But before we do, let me set the stage. You ready? The land of Israel is experiencing a drought. And it's a bad one. They probably have not had measurable precipitation in years. Now on the heels of an extreme drought comes what? Famine. And the Bible says they were in the midst of a severe famine. Times were tough. And there's a little family of four that lives in Bethlehem. The father's name, the husband father's name was Elimelech. And his name means by the way, my God is king. What a name. What a cool name to have. My God is king. His wife's name was Naomi, which means pleasant. They had two sons, Malon and Kilion, and their names mean weakling and frail. So apparently times were so tough they couldn't afford a gym membership. You know, when I read the Bible, I love to use my imagination. I love to picture what people look like. I kind of picture Malon looking like Sheldon off of Big Bang, you know? And I'm going to date myself here. I think Killian probably looked like Pee Wee Herman. Does anybody ever remember Pee Wee Herman? Well, this this little family of four, man, they're in crisis. I believe they've done everything they could do to survive the famine. They've pinched pennies. They've stretched a dollar as far as they could. I believe they're out of ideas, and somebody has thrown a new idea on the table. Maybe we need to relocate. Maybe we need to leave Israel, only temporarily. And maybe we need to relocate to some country, not another county, not another state, but another country where this famine is not affecting life. And the the country they were thinking about was the country of Moab. It was probably a 10-day walk east from Israel. This had to be a difficult decision they were making. What this meant is... If they, if they follow through with this, they're, they're going to leave behind everything they've ever known. They're going to leave their house. They're going to leave their farm. They're going to leave their extended family. They're going to leave their friends. Uh, they're leaving the, their place of worship. They're leaving everything. They're leaving their culture. So it's a tough call to make. But they made the decision. It's probably our only move. So they pack up everything, and they set out for Moab. And the Bible says that they settled there. Can you imagine how lonely they must have been? Uh, Did you know that the, the Moabites that they settled among they were hostile toward Israelites. I mean, probably they didn't speak the same language. The only people you could communicate with, with was your little family of four. This had to be a lonely, miserable life. I think that the only encouragement they probably got was it's temporary. We didn't, we didn't make this move forever. You know, one of these days, it's going to start raining in Israel again, and we're going back home, and we're going to reconnect with our family and friends and pick up where we left off. We're going to get the family farm back in shape. I believe they encouraged each other by the fact that this is not permanent, just a temporary move. I believe there were times that Elimelech and Naomi, you know, just kind of talk, man, I miss so-and-so. Hey, that's okay. We're going to see them again when we get home. and then you're not going to believe what happened I mean something unthinkable an unimaginable tragedy Elimelech died in Moab you know I tried to put myself in Naomi's place. I tried to just put myself where she might have been. I just imagined her sitting by the bedside of her extremely sick husband. And watching him draw his last breath. And wonder what she must have been thinking. I think she was probably thinking something like this. Uh, no! No, no, no. This can't be the way our story ends. We've got dreams. We've got plans. We've got ambitions. And this certainly can't be where our story ends. I believe she was in a complete state of shock. Yet she and those two boys, from the sound of those two boys, maybe Naomi by herself, she goes and she digs a grave for her husband. He buries him in this foreign land. And with him, all their collective dreams are now dead. You with me? You with Naomi here? You feeling it? I think the only solace that she had, the only consolation was she had two sons, she had her kids. She, could, she was going to love them. They were going to love her. She was going to take care of them, provide for them. They were going to provide for her. And as I was reading this week about the book of Ruth, one commentator said something about, a feature about the book is, there are no recorded miracles in the book. I kind of beg to differ because the Bible tells us next that both Malon and Kilion married. They found women. I think You know what, I'm thinking for old weakling and frail, that might have very well been a miracle in and of itself. They married Moabite girls, one of them married a girl named Orpah, and the other married a woman named Ruth. The Bible says, 10 years passed. I want you to get this, do you think Naomi thought when she struck out for Moab that 10 years later that's where she'd be? That a decade would pass and that's where she would be? Decade passes, the boys never father any children. Tragedy strikes again. And you're not going to believe this. Her sons died. Man, wouldn't it be bad enough to bury a child? Both her sons died. From the way I read the story, they either died very close, and as far as a time frame, close together, or they died at the same time. So she and two young widows, Orpah and Ruth, I believe they went back to Elimelech's grave, and they dug two more fresh graves, and Naomi lay her two sons to rest. The Bible describes Naomi at this point as alone. She left home, farm, family, friends. She left all that, but she had her husband and her two sons. And now she's lost them. Let's pick up the story and read together verse number 6 and verse number 7. It said, Then Naomi heard in Moab, That the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. Two words there I want you to notice, blessed again. So look what happened. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab. A decision was made. We're leaving this place. I don't believe that was a tough decision for Naomi, do you? We're leaving this place getting ready to return to her homeland with her two daughters-in-law. I love this phrase. She set out from the place where she had been living, this dark place. Man, this depressing place. This place of incredible loss. She sets out where she had been living and she took the road that would lead them back to Judah, back to her home. Don't you know this was a woman that was glad to see Moab in the rearview mirror? And I remember this year that my family and i went through and it was like we were just getting sucker punched you know one problem would arise and you wouldn't get it solved and then two more would arise and you would start trying to work on them and then three more would arise and and it was that way for an entire year and i remember the new year's eve and lynn and amy and jonathan went to bed early and i stayed up I didn't have the television on. I didn't watch the ball drop. I didn't listen to Dick Clark. I didn't have any music playing. I just sat there and every once in a while I'd look at my watch. And when it turned 12, I walked outside in my yard, looked up into the sky and said, Thank you that this one is behind me. I'm glad to see this year in the rearview mirror. I believe that's the way that she was feeling. Glad this is behind me. Good riddance. She and her two daughters-in-law are on the way, and she turns to them, and she said, Girls, you don't need to do this. You don't need to go with me. You need to go back to your family. May God reward you for the kindness you've shown to me and my two sons. May God bless you with your own uh, husbands and and your families, but you just need to turn around, and you need to go back. And, and, And when she said that, all three of them broke down, began to weep. They hugged each other. And then the two girls said, No, we're going with you. And Naomi asked him. He said, why in the world would you go, want to go with me? I mean, do you think I'm going to bear more sons that can become your husbands? Look, girls, I'm too old for that. If I'm married tonight and had sons, do you girls think you're going to wait 20 more years before you marry again? And then she answered the question for him. She said, no, you're not. You're going home. And they wept again and Orpah turned and she started back to Moab. And and Naomi turned and looked at Ruth and said, See what she's doing? That's what you need to do. Now, honey, go back home. Now, I want you to look how Ruth responds to this. And the reason I want to read this, these to me are some of the most powerful words in all the Bible. Naomi says, Girl, you've got to go back to your people. You can't go with me. Look what Ruth said, verse number 16. But Ruth replied, Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go. I'll go. Wherever you live, I'll live. Your people will be my people. This next phrase is really big. Your God is going to be my God. She converted, became a believer in and follower of the genuine God of Israel. Wherever you die, I will die. There I'll be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw... There's no convincing her to turn back. She stopped trying. They had to make about a 10-day walk. And first first of all, they lost about 4,000 feet in elevation. Then they gained 4,000 feet in elevation and went back. And they made it to Bethlehem, her hometown. And the Bible said, word began to spread. And there was a stir. There was excitement in the community that Naomi was back. So people came out to greet her. And somebody said, that's Naomi. And the response was, "Uh, really? I mean, could that be Naomi? Now you think about it. She obviously had changed. Ten years of aging. But I don't think that was the big change. Ten hard years. I believe had taken a toll on this woman. She overheard the question, could this be Naomi? And she responds, I want you to look at verse number 20. She says, Don't you call me Naomi? Boy, I can just I can just hear her snap that. Don't you call me Naomi? Remember what the name means? Pleasant. Don't you call me, don't you describe me with that word pleasant? She goes on and says, instead call me Mara, and we'll get to that, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. Now this is like, I jumped over something I wanted on the screen, and it was an initial reference to the fact that God had made her life bitter. This is the second time she says, "Don't don't you dare call me Naomi. Don't you ever refer to me as pleasant. You call me Mara. You know what the name Mara means? Bitter. I'm no longer pleasant. I am bitter. Because God has made my life bitter. Verse number 21. She said, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. A key word. She said, why call me Naomi when who the Lord has what caused me to suffer? And the Almighty has sent such a tragedy upon me. So Naomi and and Ruth, they make it back to Bethlehem. And the Bible said they made it just in time for the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, you got that story embedded in your mind? What do we learn here? I think we learn this lesson. God will allow bad things to happen to good people. I think some bad things happened, right? The drought was a bad thing. The rain just stopped. And i gonna tell you, it would not start back. That's a bad thing, especially when you're a farmer. The famine was a bad thing. The relocation, a bad thing. You're leaving everything behind and going to live among total strangers. I mean, there were some bad things happening to this family. There were some really bad things that happened to Naomi. Her husband died. Her sons died. Leaving her alone with foreigners. No extended family to comfort her and help her through this. No friends. No church family to help her get through this crisis. I'm telling you, man, she was alone in the midst of this. There were some bad things that happened to these people and in particular to this woman. You say, yes but were they good people? I think we can take it a step further and say they were not only good people they were godly people. Remember Elimelech, what his name meant? My God is king. Not God, our God, your God my God is the king. I believe he was a godly man. I believe Naomi was a godly woman. I mean, Ruth came to the conclusion that your God's going to be my God. And I believe the way she came to that conclusion is by what she saw in Ruth and what she heard from Ruth about her God. Listen, these were not only good people. These were godly people. And God let some bad things happen to them. Now, you know, guys, it, it, it doesn't have to be this story. There's any number of places in the Bible we could have gone to prove this. What about the story of Joseph? What about the story of Job? What about the life of the Apostle Paul and his sufferings? What about the life of Christ and what he suffered? I'm telling you, the Bible is filled with stories of some bad things happening to good people. And God allowed that to happen. I got some really bad news for you this morning. You ready? You ready? And, and, and I got, you're the crowd that came. And I got, I got bad, bad news for you. One of these days, God will allow some bad things to happen to you. One of these days, God's going to allow some bad things to happen to you. You can't pray hard enough to keep that from happening. You can't live righteously enough. You can't give away enough money. You can't sacrifice enough to keep that from ever happening to you. One of these days, something bad shows up at your doorstep. Uh, Remember what Jesus said in the New Testament? In this world, you will have... It'll happen Now in light of that I need to encourage you to do something Don't let a bitter life Make you a bitter person You got it? Twice Naomi described her life as bitter Now most of you know That the Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew And so I went back to see What this word bitter Meant And it is the anonym for pleasant. You know what Naomi is saying? My life is no longer pleasant. I no longer enjoy my life. The word implied that she had experienced some things that were hard to accept. When she thought about it, it was just hard for her to believe that these things had happened to her. The word implied she had experienced some things that were hard to bear. In other words, the load of grief that sat upon her shoulders was staggering. The word implied that she had gone through some extremely painful experiences. The wounds were deep. The losses were so great they were almost immeasurable. The bad things changed the flavor of her life from sweet sweet. And when God allows some bad things to happen to us, that's the first thing we'll notice. Life tastes differently. Life is no longer sweet. Life becomes bitter. And when that happens, we are in danger of allowing a bitter life to turn us into a bitter She described herself and gave herself the new name, Mara, which meant bitter. I looked up that word, and you know what it meant. You say, did it mean broken-hearted? Did it mean sad, sorrowful, uh, confused, shocked? What did it mean, Ronnie? You know what the word bitter when she said, "Call me Mara." You know what that word bitter means. It means angry. Matter of fact, it meant fury. It meant. Naomi had become one angry woman, furious, caring about a cauldron of of, of rage inside of her. You say, where do you think it came from? I want you to listen to me. Bitterness is what happens when grief goes looking for someone to blame. Man, that's worth the price of admission. That's worth getting out of bed and coming to church for. Bitterness is what happens when grief goes looking for someone to blame. And she found someone. You know who it was? You got it. You read it. She blamed God. The way she looked at it, God murdered Elimelech. The way she looked at it, God had murdered her sons. She said he made this happen. He caused this to happen. She referred to him twice as the Lord, and that's, that's, a, that's a title that represents his authority, and he, she knew he has all authority, and she called him the Almighty. He's got all ability, and the way she looked at this, if he has all authority, and he has all ability, and he didn't prevent this from happening, he made it happen. And because she blamed God, she became angry with God. Bitter. If you and I aren't careful, and bad things change the taste of our life from sweet to bitter, a bitter life can make us a bitter person. If we go looking for someone to blame. You know, when when God allows bad things to happen to a, a bad person, Uh, They kind of look at it and go, you know what? I deserved it. I mean, I get it. I've done some horrible things. I'm being punished. I get that. When God allows bad things to happen to a good person and they blame God, they go, wait a minute, I'm not getting this. I'm just not getting this. You know what they feel about God then? He's an unfair God. And the anger develops toward God. They become Bitter toward God. Don't you let a bitter life make you a bitter person. Let me tell you why. You allow that to happen. One, it's going to change you and not for the better. It changed Naomi. She went from pleasant to bitter almost unrecognizably. So if you allow bitterness to set in, you blame God, you hold Him responsible. You develop a bitterness toward him, it'll change you, first of all. And you will go from sweet to bitter. You ever met anybody like that? Every word they spoke was negative. They didn't like anybody. Man, they've walked away from you and you, went, you said this. You said, man, they're mad at the world. No, they're not. They're mad at God. It'll change you into somebody you don't want to be. Into somebody nobody is comfortable with. The second thing it'll do is it will ruin your life. You ever tasted something bitter? And then afterwards you drank something else or you ate something else. How did it affect the taste of what you ate or drank next? It, it, it was bitter. It, 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 it affected it in a negative way. Allow bitterness to develop in your spirit. And I promise you this, no matter what you're doing, no matter where you're at, you won't be enjoying it because bitterness gives everything a foul, acrid aftertaste. It'll ruin your life. The third thing it'll do is wreck your relationship with God. I found it interesting that as I looked up this word uh, bitter in the Hebrew, that sometimes that Hebrew word was translated into the English language rebellion. Nobody remains faithful to God for long when they see him as an unfair God. Nobody remains faithful to God for very long when they're angry with God. Nobody remains faithful to God for long when they develop a hatred for God. Man, I knew this guy. I, still, I mean, I saw, I knew you'd still know the guy. He was one of those fellows that when he got saved, the change was phenomenal. It was just miraculous. God called him into the ministry, and I had the privilege of hearing him preach on a lot of opportunities. And he says, best preacher I've heard best preacher i ever heard he was a man of impact and 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 i knew him well and there was a year in his life where i watched as god allowed some bad things to happen in the life of this good man first he seemed to be unfazed He, he was hurt but i watched i watched over the next year or two years as slowly but steadily and surely he began to blame God for all the things that had happened. And a resentment toward God began to develop and he withdrew from the church. He left the ministry. He almost, I tell you to some degree, became a reckless. One morning I prayed for him. And God... Told me to tell him something. It's just one of those moments where God said, "I want you to tell him. If you care for him, I want you to go. I want you to tell him. God is not the source of your problems, but He is the solution to your problems." And I said, "God, I'll do it." And He said, "I'm talking about now." Man, I got in my truck. I drove to his house, rang the doorbell. He stepped out. We made some small talk, and I said, "You know." That there's a phrase I don't throw around loosely. God told me. This morning as I was praying for you. God told me something. And he told me I was supposed to come and tell you. And I said God sent me to tell you. That he's not the source of your problems. But he is the solution to your problems. Now I wish I could tell you. That he broke down and wept. And he embraced me. And we prayed together. And he made things right with God. Uh, Uh no. His reaction was violent. He turned deep red. He put his finger in my face. And he said, let me tell you something. He's never done anything but let me down. He has royally screwed up my life. He said, don't you ever mention him to me again as long as we live. You got it? Uh, What was that? That's bitterness. bitterness wrecked his relationship with God he'll do the same with you you can't allow a bitter life to make you a bitter person you say then what do we do Uh, grieve the bad but celebrate the good Uh, what do you do when bad things happen man my nose is running I hate to do this but it's better than what would have happened if I didn't do that (laughs) what do you do grieve When, when something bad happens you grieve you mourn that's what you do. I remember getting called out wee hours of the morning. And I got a call to come to this house. I go to the house and there's two friends of mine, two sisters, sitting there. They were just wailing. They're, they're crying. And their mother had just passed away. And she's lying in the other room. And, and they're, they're, well, one, of, one of the girl's husbands walks in. And, and, he, and he walks over to the kitchen table where they're sitting. And in front of all of us, he said, and he said it this way, Stop that crying! Now that's enough of that That's helping nothing, and your mother would not have wanted you to do that. Well, can I tell you what I thought to myself? I didn't say it because it wasn't my family. it been in my family. I'd have said this. You know what I thought? You ignorant, insensitive, jerk. You ought to get out of here and leave them alone. You know what? They're doing what God made them to do in a moment of pain. They're grieving. They're mourning. That's what we do when bad things happen. Grieve the bad. You say, for how long? As long as it takes. As a matter of fact, I believe that some of our losses may be so great that we experience a level of grief for the rest of our life. But don't just grieve the bad. You've got to celebrate the good. Naomi shows up, all these people gather around. She said, well, I left here full, but I came back empty. You know what she's saying? I got nothing. Uh, Let me tell you something, that's a lie. She told a lie. I got nothing. You know who she had standing next to her? Her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Uh, Later, as we get into this story, you're going to see that the Bible says of Ruth that she was better to Naomi than seven sons could have been. She was a gift from God. She was a gift from God. She was a gift from God. And Naomi didn't see what God had given her. Something wonderful. She didn't see what God had already done for her. Let me tell you something. Moab is behind her. The direction of her life had turned in a more positive direction. And she did not see what God was doing. You know why? Because bitterness blinds us. And the more blind we become, it intensifies the bitterness and the blindness and the bitterness. just feed off of one another. I don't care what we're going through in life. There's something good about life. There's, there, I don't care what you've lost, there's something you've been given that you still have in your possession. And I don't care what God hasn't done, there's some things that he has done, and there's some things that he is doing. And here's the deal, grieve the bad, but you've got to celebrate the good. You know what? You make your inventory of the bad things that have happened, you make an inventory of the things you've lost, make an inventory of the things God's given. You make an inventory of the things God has not done that you felt like he should. And make, also make a list of the things that he has done. Listen, grieve the bad, but you've got to celebrate the good. And by that I mean take note of it, be thankful for it, and enjoy it. Listen, if you will do that, it has a way of keeping bitterness at bay. And keeping you sweet even when life is You've seen people like that. Before I went to ministry, I was a mailman, and I, I met some interesting people on my mail route. And some of them were frighteningly interesting. But I went to this apartment complex. And I guess it was for folks on low-income, low-income housing. And there was this apartment I always look forward to visiting. I'll never get ringing the doorbell one day, and I hear, "It takes a while for the occupant to get to the door." And when they get to the door, there's this elderly lady in a wheelchair. Her legs are both gone from the knees down her smile would brighten a dark day her joy was always overwhelming I always loved it when she got a certified letter and I could get her to the door because just seeing her and talking her for just a few moments Would turn your day around. This was a woman. Who had been dealt a bitter life. Who remained sweet. And what a powerful testimony. She was. Yeah. God will allow bad things to happen to good people. And when it happens to you. Don't let a bitter life. Make you a bitter person. Grieve the bad celebrate the good and where we're we going from here Ronnie I guess you can see that we got four chapters in Ruth and each one of those is kind of like a piece in the puzzle. puzzle we're going to go through these and then we're going to take those four pieces and we're going to put them together and I believe when we do we're going to unravel the mystery of suffering and we're going to understand and we're going to be able to answer the question why would a good God allow bad things to happen to good people you in Let's pray together, every head bowed, all eyes closed. Oh, my goodness, I'm going over time. But that's okay, isn't it? Here's what I want you to do, man. I, tell you, I got some people here. I know some bad things are, have unfolded in your life. And, and maybe you're right on the brink of bitterness. Maybe you're right there. You're questioning God. You're angry with him. What I don't know. Will you do something for me before you leave here? You know what you've lost. Would you stop for a moment and inventory what you have? What has God given you to enjoy that you still have? You could be quick to tell us the things that he didn't do that you felt he should do. Take a moment and identify what he has done and continues to do. I mean, I want you to think about. I want you to name these things in your mind. What are these gifts that you still have to enjoy? What, what are these things that he has done and he continues to do? Look on the other side of this. I want you to whisper something in your own heart To him It may be something that you haven't Said to him in a long 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 time I want you to say this Thank you God Thank you Lord I grieve What I've lost but thank you for what I've got Lord, there are things you didn't do that I, I really don't understand. But, boy, there are some things you've done for me that I deeply appreciate. Thank you, God. Thank you. Now, look at me. Look at me. Now, here's what you got to do between now and next Sunday. Enjoy those gifts. Whatever it is that remains in your life that he has given you, You you just celebrate it. You give him thanks, but then you go and you enjoy those gifts that remain in your life. And I'll see you back here next week. Is that good? You're dismissed. Have a great week.